Glad you guys are here. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Uh, so we've got these uh, end of the, um, I guess, end of our time here services, these farewell services this week. So they, the night ones filled up, uh, and I, I didn't think that they would. They have. So we're going to see what we can do. I'm not sure if we can add any more, but we're going to try. So you can just look in your email for those. We'll see what we can do about maybe adding um, some more evening services. I just don't know if we'll be able to turn the place over uh, in time. You know, we've we got to get people out and then sanitize and all of those things. I just don't know if we'll have time, but we're going to try. But either way, we're going to record and we'll post the recording of those services at the end of the week or maybe may closer to, the, to next Sunday. And we'll include some things in that recording that, won't, that we won't be able to do while we're in here. We're trying to keep the services that are alive short, honestly, so people don't have to go to the bathroom. Um, so um, there may be some, but there will be, there's some video testimonies that we have. We may not be able to show them live, but we're going to include them in this, this video service that we're sending out. So all that to say, if you can't make it, if we're not able to add any more services, you will be able to see the, the kind of the best of that online, hopefully by the end of this week or the beginning of next week. And you guys can just keep praying for us. Uh, the hope is that we'll be able to move on May 30th. So that's uh, two weeks from today that we're recording it on a Saturday. Uh, so two weeks from today, we hope to be able to move um, into the new building if everything comes together. So you can just be praying for that uh, with us. All right, uh, Revelation 20. So uh, Revelation 19, Jesus returns. Uh, for those who are his people, his return is like a wedding day. Uh, he's the groom going to get the bride and bringing her uh, to his house for this wedding feast. For those who are Jesus' enemies, for those who've rejected him, who are not aligned with him, it's a terrible day. It's, it's the battle of Armageddon. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of dread when all the enemies of God will be destroyed. Jesus has thrown the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And we'll pick up in chapter 20 there. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, Satan must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So three, three things in this section. We have the millennium, that 1,000 years, the judgment of Satan, and then the judgment of all humanity. So we'll just take those one at a time. The millennium, the, it's a 1,000-year it's a time period. And there's, uh, it's honestly, it's the, it's the most controversial section. That's the most controversial concept in Revelation and one of the most controversial in all of the New Testament. So you have this 1,000-year time period, and there's three major schools of thought on what this time period is. I don't want to, we could spend weeks getting lost in the weeds. I don't want to do that. So just a broad overview, three schools of thought. Honestly, you, you pick. Um, there are people that love God and that respect the Bible in each one of these categories. So you can decide which one resonates the most with you. There's premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Pre, post, and ah. So premillennialist, they believe that this 1,000 years is, is a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth. They take Revelation 20 the most literally. They, in general, see Revelation as a chronological sequence of events. So what they're saying is Jesus returns before, pre, the millennium, and then he, along with either just his martyrs or with all of his people, they have difference of opinion there within that camp, will rule and reign on the earth. Uh, for 1,000 years, and Satan during that time is basically in demon jail. He can't do anything. He's completely neutered. He, he has no influence on the world or very, 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 very minimal influence on the world, some say, during that 1,000-year time period. Uh, post-millennial, uh, post-millennialists, they would say Jesus returns after post the millennium. They see this thousand years, maybe not as literally a thousand years, just more of a time period, a really long time period where the gospel has advanced across the earth, where you've got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people who are disciples of Jesus. And because their lives have been changed by the gospel, society is being changed as well. So this is not some kind of human program. This isn't like self-help on steroids or some kind of version of human progress. It's, it's, this is the church advancing through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel being preached to the nations, and again, millions and millions of people responding in faith to Jesus, discipling, uh, being discipled uh, into the kingdom, and then the impacts of that on the world, a time of unprecedented peace, a time of unprecedented righteousness. For Satan to be bound in the post-millennialist mind, what that means is that he can no longer deceive the nations. That's what Revelation 20 says. Uh, he can no longer deceive the nations. So Satan can't stop the gospel from being preached. He can't stop the gospel from being spread. Then you have amillennialists. That A, it's a particle in Greek. It's similar to UN for us. Un. It's a negative particle. So amillennialists are not millennialists. They see this thousand years as a symbolic time uh, representing the period of time, however long it will be, between Jesus's first coming, that first Christmas, and Jesus's second coming, what we saw last week in Revelation 19. 
And they would say, uh, Jesus is not reigning physically on the earth like the premillennialists. Jesus is not reigning on the earth through the church like the postmillennialists. Jesus is reigning in heaven, and he's reigning in heaven with all who die in him. So all believers who die on the earth, um, they, and their souls are in heaven, kind of whatever that looks like right now, and they are reigning with Jesus from there. And so we, according to an amillennialist, we're living in the millennium right now. And for Satan to be bound means he can't stop the spread of the gospel. There are a lot of parallels between post-millennialists and amillennialists. So again, you can decide which one resonates most with you. You're going to ask, if I have to pick a camp, I'm going to say I'm an amillennialist. Uh, I have lots of reasons, but just two for now so we can move on. One, Revelation is the most symbolic book in all of the Bible. And the millennium is mentioned only in Revelation 21 through 10. That's it. In all of the Bible, this is the only place that talks about a thousand-year reign of Jesus. And a thousand, to me, is a number begging to be interpreted symbolically in Revelation. It's a cube of ten. Ten is a number of completeness. To me, to build kind of an entire doctrine on something that's only found in Revelation is a bit flimsy. And so just biblically, I would say I'm going to steer away from a literal interpretation when Revelation is 100% true. But as we've seen time and time again, if we take the visions literally, we wind up missing the point. And then I would say just kind of thinking about it, this is kind of logic for me, which doesn't necessarily always apply. But if I think about uh, either the pre- or the post-millennialists, and I think about this battle of Gog and Magog, it doesn't make any sense to me. So if Jesus is reigning for a thousand years, so he, he's perfect. Perfect peace, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, perfect wisdom, perfect goodness, perfect love. For a thousand years, that's what people are sitting under. A thousand years, the, the prayer that we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, for a thousand years people experience that. And as soon as the enemy, the devil, is let out of this demon jail, he's able to deceive so many people. It says they're as numerous as the sand on the seashore. This is not a few people. This is a ton of people who are turned that quickly against Jesus after he's ruled and reigned over them for a thousand years. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And then the same thing I would say on kind of the post-millennialist side, you've got the gospel's been advancing for centuries. You've got millions and millions of people who have submitted to Jesus or being discipled in the kingdom. Society is experiencing this peace and righteousness that's unknown prior to the time. And then again, as soon as Satan is released, he's able to deceive this countless number of people. Neither one of those things to me, it's hard for me to fit those things together, how either Jesus literally reigning on the earth or the gospel advancing to that degree could then, the enemy could undo that work so quickly and lead so many people astray. So you, again, you decide, you don't have to agree with me on this. You don't have to agree with me about anything, but especially on this, lots of options, those three options, lots of people in each camp who love God and highly respect the Bible. I would say, um, you know, for us trying to pull something out of that, what does that actually mean? Does it actually affect how you live on Wednesday, whether you're pre or post or ah? I would say probably not a ton. But if you look at the broader context of Revelation 15 to 20, 
uh, I think there's some takeaways there for us. And I'll get to that in one second. Let me just mention the judgment of Satan. So Satan is thrown, after this thousand years, he's released. Who knows why? He's thrown into the lake of fire. That's where, he, and he, that's where the beast and the false prophet is. So that's what we would call hell. And so Satan is consigned to this place of eternal punishment. Prior to that, there's this massive battle, and it's super cryptic, the battle of Gog and Magog. What are those things? Um, I think that this battle of Gog and Magog, it's the same as the battle of Armageddon from Revelation 19, I think. There's several times in Revelation where we see the same event from two different perspectives. There's one in chapter 7. John says, I heard the number of people that were sealed. It's 144,000. And then he sees a great multitude that no one can count. It's the same group of people. It's just two different perspectives. 144,000, highly symbolic number, a multitude that no one can count. I think what's going on here in Revelation 20, this battle of Gog and Magog, it is the battle of Armageddon just from a different perspective. The battle of Gog and Magog, if you want to read about it, it's Ezekiel 38 and 39. I would say, read it. Don't read it while you're eating. I hope you're not eating breakfast right now. Here, listen to this. This sounds a lot like the battle of Armageddon. So son of man, that's Ezekiel. This is what the Lord says. Call out to every bird, every kind of bird and all the wild animals. And ask, tell them this. Assemble and come together from all around to the sacrifice I'm preparing for you. So this is God talking. The great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. There you will eat flesh and drink blood. You'll eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as if it were rams and lambs, goats and bulls, all of them fattened, all of the fattened animals at the sacrifice I'm preparing for you. You'll eat your fill till you are glutted uh, from fat. You drink blood till you're drunk. At my table, you'll eat your fill of horses and riders, mighty men and soldiers of every king, declares the sovereign Lord. So that's a gross picture, but it sounds a whole lot like this picture from chapter 19. I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair, come gather together for the great supper of gods that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. So again, to me, those are, it, it's the same thing. This battle of Gog and Magog is the battle of Armageddon. I think what we're seeing here in chapter 20, it's just, it's Jesus's return from another perspective, from the perspective of the Father. He sends fire, which I think, again, uh, we see Jesus on a white horse. That's an image. The Father sending fire, that's an image. They're communicating the same thing. From chapter 15 to chapter 20 of Revelation, what we see is God is dealing with all of his enemies. He deals with the beast. He deals with the false prophet. He deals with the dragon. That's Satan. He deals with Babylon, and he deals with everybody who's aligned with any of them. And I think if you're, if you're one of those seven churches and you're this small minority in the sea of the Roman Empire and you hear that and you're being squeezed, you're super encouraged and you're comforted. The reality that you're living is not the, it's not the, it's not the end of the story. There's more than you can see. God is at work and he eventually is going to judge all of those forces that are opposed to you. Not just the ones that you can see with your eyes, not just the people but the forces, the spiritual forces that stand behind the people and that stand behind the structures and that stand behind the institutions. All of those things are eventually going to be judged. And I think that would give great comfort. It was probably also a word of warning. As you, if you remember, in some of those letters in chapters 2 and 3, there were churches that were compromising. 
There were churches that were making deals with Babylon and they were making deals with Rome. They were being, they were being sucked in by the money and the immorality of Rome or by the power associated uh, with the Roman government. And that'd be a word of warning to them. You align yourself with those forces, you're actually aligning yourself with the devil and he and everyone associated with him is going to be judged. For us, where we live, we're not in a place of persecution. If we were, I think we would take Revelation 15 to 20 to heart in terms of comfort and encouragement. We live in a place of affluence where it's pretty honestly easy to be a Christian. I think for us, it is that word of warning that we just want to be aware of who we're aligning ourselves with. We want to be aware of the dominant culture in which we're swimming. It's the air that we breathe, and we just want to be, uh, we want to be on guard. And we're not getting sucked in by Babylon. There's some of us who are prone to want to attach ourselves to power. And we want to be aware of that. We want to recognize that that power could easily become something like the beast. And so again, I think for us, Revelation 15 to 20, it's a, it's a word of warning for us. Again, we're, we're not being persecuted. There's, there can be some comfort there. But in general, I would say it's a warning just to make sure that we're not connecting ourselves uh, to, the, to, to anyone or to anything that would uh, compromise our loyalty to Jesus. Again, I don't know that your perspective on the millennium is a life changer for you. Uh, I, I would say it's not for me, but it does, it, it wraps up this section on judgment. We see God not just judging those who are opposed to him, but also rewarding those who are faithful to him. I think that's, that's the different perspective that we see in chapter 20. Uh, up to chapter 20, we've seen a lot. We've kind of seen the bad guys going down. And in the millennium, we see God lifting up his own people. This idea of reigning with Jesus, whatever that happens to mean, what you're seeing is the rewarding of those who've remained faithful, even to the point of death. So you can imagine maybe some of the things that are said when a Christian in this world is, is persecuted and died. God for, God's forsaken you. God's forgotten about you. Your God is dead. Your God is not powerful. All of those kinds of things that would maybe be swirling around in the culture and maybe still happens in places now where there's a, a government or another religious system that's uh, squeezing the church, where you have this sense of if, if a Christian is being persecuted or if a Christian is killed, that somehow God let them down or that God's not strong or that God's not loving or that there's another God who's more powerful than the God of the Bible. And Revelation 20 says, not, not true. God rewards those who are faithful to him, those who maybe have appeared to lose in this world, actually are going to win in the world to come. We're going to close by looking at the great judgment. That applies to everybody. The millennium may not affect how you live on Wednesday, but this final judgment absolutely should impact how you live on Wednesday. Let me read it to you just one more time to refresh your memory. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the book. So remember that. The dead are judged according to what they had done and what they've done, what we've all done, is recorded in these books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they'd done. Reiterated for emphasis. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
lake of fire is a second death. So now we've got death in Hades in there. We've got the devil is in there. The beast is in there. The false prophet is in there. And then anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, they also wind up there. So this final judgment, everybody who's ever lived ever is summoned before the Father. And everybody has to give an account of their life. And then the Father determines each person's eternal destiny based on that accounting. He's got these books and he's judging people. He's saying it's Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. That's a, that's a picture. It's actually not a parable. It's a picture of the final judgment. Sheep and goats spend the day together in the field, but at night they separate. Sheep like to sleep outside. Goats want to sleep inside. There's a, a separation at night. That's what you see here. There's a separation. We've all grown up together. We've all lived together. Then at this final judgment, now there's a separation between those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life and those, names who, and those whose names have not been written in this book of life. We're all judged based on these books. So a couple of things for you to be thinking about. So uh, you've, you've all flown, uh, mo- many of you have flown internationally. You've come back into Hartsfield and you land and there's like, there's the passport control thing. And you got to decide, like if, you, if you're a U.S. citizen, you go one way. And if you're not, you go another way. That's kind of how I see this. Um, everyone who's ever lived, the Father's calling everybody together, and there's two lines. There's the book of life line, and then there's the not book of life line. If you're in the not book of life line, if your name has never been written in the book of life, then that's the line that you get to. And, and at that point, all you have to stand on is what's written in this other book. We'll just call it the book of deeds. I don't know if that's what it's called. That's what we'll call it. It's the book of your life. It's the deeds that you've done. The actions, the behaviors, the thoughts, it's all written down in this book. And you can kind of see that as your passport. And you're going up, you're trying to enter this kingdom, uh, this place that is the kingdom of God. And you've got, that, that's all you've got. That's kind of your entry paper. It's this book with everything you've ever done, good, bad, and ugly. And you approach the, the, the passport control place, except it's not a border patrol agent. It's the king of the country. That's who you're giving the passport to. And the issue, it's not how much good stuff is written down on your passport. It's you've actually already rejected the invitation of the king to enter the country. And I think that's what will be so devastating for people. The, the, the good that they've done, whatever that looks like, it won't, it won't matter. Because we've already rejected, if, if your name's not written in the book of life, you've already rejected the offer to enter into this country. You've already said no to the king. And so it really doesn't matter what's written in your passport at that point. If you like the courtroom metaphor better, that's okay. You know, it's it's the guy who's on trial for robbing a bank and his defense is, but I'm really, I'm a good person. Look at all the good things that I've done. Look at all the people that I've helped. Look at all the, the money that I've given away. Look at all the time that I've invested. Like all of that can be well and good. It has nothing to do with whether or not you've robbed a bank. And if you rob the bank, you still have to pay for that. No matter how much good you've done, that doesn't get anybody off the hook. If you're guilty of robbing the bank, then you're guilty of robbing the bank. It doesn't matter how many other good things that you've done. And if that's a better metaphor for you, then you can see it that way. All the good things that you've done don't matter. 
because you would say and I would say, well, I've sinned and you've sinned. If there's only two commands to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we don't have to think very far back to think of times where we didn't do that perfectly. We didn't love God with everything that we have and we didn't love our neighbor well. We don't have to go back too many days to find an instance where, yeah, I, I, I fell short. And so all of the good things that I've done at that point, they don't matter because I still, they don't get me off the hook for the bad things. They don't get me off the hook for what the Bible calls sin. However you want to use it. To me, it's helpful to think of salvation in relational terms. God desires to adopt us into his family. God desires to bring us into this kingdom that is his where he rules and reigns forever. And he invites us to be co-heirs with Jesus, to rule and reign with him. We've said no to the invitation. We've rejected Jesus. If your name's not in the book of life, then the destination it's, is hell. That's the place. That's, if God is a source of all goodness and his kingdom is the realm of all goodness, if you've said, no, I don't want to enter that kingdom, then what's the only place left? If everything that's good is in the kingdom of God, and you said no to that. Well, what's left? Nothing that's good. And that's hell. And you may say, I, I, I don't think, I don't know if my name is written in the book of life. I sure would like for it to be. What do I need to do? Super simple. Jesus, the, his theme, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Re repentance, it's, it's, it's really just moving from disagreeing with God to agreeing with God. There's some other ways of thinking about it. That one's helpful for me. For me to, to repent is to acknowledge the places where I'm disagreeing with God and to say, I want to begin to agree with you. So, God, I agree with you. I haven't loved you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I agree with you. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. I agree that I've committed these sins. I've broken the rules. I, I, I agree with you about that. And I agree that no matter how many good things I've done, those things can't, that it, it never takes care of the places where I've fallen short. I, I, I acknowledge that. There's not a scale here where we're trying to balance good and bad. I've broken the rules, and, and that has to be paid for. I acknowledge that. I agree with you about that. And I agree that I need to be saved from that, that I don't have any other, I, I, there's no other way for me to enter into your presence. There's no other way for me to enter into this country that you've invited me into the kingdom of God. I, there, there's no other options for me because I've broken the rules that you've laid down. I've sinned against you. And so I, I want to receive the invitation that you've given to me. I want to receive the, I, I want to agree that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he died for me. He died to take care of these sins that I committed that I can't take care of. And I want to receive that gift of his payment for my sins. Simple. And then tell somebody. Tell Matt. Send him an email. That's all you're doing. You're moving, for, you're, you're switching lines. You're moving from the line that says, name not written in the book of life till you're moving to the line that says names written in the book of life. And at that point, you, you've got a different passport. Your passport is not your track record of all the things that you've done. Your track record is 
It's Jesus, is what Jesus has done. It's his perfect obedience. It's his righteousness in your place. And that's what you're showing. You're not saying, let me in the country because of all the great things I've done. You're saying, let me in the country because of what Jesus did for me. He's getting me in. Now, as a Christian, and most of you watching this are, we're going to be judged also. And I don't know if you know that or not. And you may think, well, I thought that the whole kind of the whole point of this deal with Jesus was I wouldn't be judged anymore. You're not going to be judged for your sins because Jesus paid for all of those. He paid the penalty for all of those sins. But we are going to be judged for what we've done with our life. We talked about it last week, the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. God's given us all stuff. And where we live, he's given us all a ton of stuff. He's given us time, he's given us money, he's given us gifts, he's given us strengths, he's given us relationships, he's given us opportunities. And what he says is, well, what are you doing with it? And and, and we will be judged based on what we've done. Now that judgment is different. The judgment that's not about admission into heaven, it's not, the judgment's not based, it's it's not an evaluation of whether or not God loves us, but it's rewards. And I don't have a clue what those rewards are, not one. People talk about crowns. I don't know if you're getting a crown or not. But there's the New Testament in particular, there's a strong thread that runs through that says believers will be rewarded for what they've done in this life. You're not going to be punished for your sins. That's what you've been saved from. But you will be rewarded for your acts of righteousness. Don't get hung up on that. Why well, not do I don't do anything right? Don't do that. You're going to be rewarded for the places where you've been faithful to the Lord. You're going to be rewarded for the things that you've done that are and that are loving towards the Lord and loving towards other people. 1 Corinthians says this. I think this is maybe the clearest picture. If so uh, he Paul is talking about laying the a foundation. The foundation is Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation, that's Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw. So those are the two categories, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, uh, and that's a capital day, so that's this day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You see the picture there. So this is, this is to the believer. So to a, to a believer, so to me. And the foundation in my life is Jesus. And what he's going to say is, well, what have you built on that? What have you done with what I've given you? And if I've built with gold and silver and costly stones, well, those things don't get burned up in the fire. They make it through. And I'm rewarded for those righteous acts, whatever those happen to be. And the places where it's wood and hay and, and straw, those things all burn up in the fire. I'm still saved, but I'm saved as one escaping through the flames, like my Shirts on fire kind of thing. That's the picture for us. And you don't need to hear that as a threat at all. If you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you, like, you're, you're, you're safe 100%. This is not about your salvation. 
This is about rewards. And again, I don't know what those things are, but imagining the character of God, they're probably going to be pretty great. When you think about the, the guy in the parable, the master who comes back and he says, you know, you've been faithful with a few things here. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. It doesn't say what those many things are, but it's, it seems to me to be an extravagant response. And so again, I don't know what those rewards are, but I do know that we will receive them based on our faithfulness to God. Now, to be really clear, you're not rewarded for results. That's not how God works. And we say all the time, in the kingdom, obedience is success. You're rewarded for your obedience, not for how those things turn out. So you don't look at your life and say, I don't have anything that I'm proud of. I haven't built anything. I haven't done anything. Like, that's not it. Are you being faithful to what the Lord is putting in front of you? Are you being a good steward of what he's given you? And you, in your mind, you may say, he's only given me one talent. I don't have two and I don't have five. I've got one. I got one bag of gold. Well, are you faithful with that one bag of gold? And if you are, you will be rewarded in heaven. That's what the final judgment will be for you. You bypass the line that for the people that are, whose names are not written in the book of life. That's not, you're not going there. This is not heaven or hell for you. This is not in the kingdom or out of the kingdom for you. This is, I'm in the kingdom based on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm in the kingdom because I've received this gift of grace that God has given to me. I'm saved by grace through faith 100%. And I'm rewarded based on what I've done in the power of the Holy Spirit with what God has given to me. And again, don't hear that as pressure and don't hear that as a, as a threat. What that says to me is what you do matters. Like Tuesday matters. And it matters because you're going to be, you're going to give an account of that to the Lord. And again, I don't think he's sitting there with the green visor looking to mark you down, take points off. I think it's much more of a, of a posture of excitement much more kind of this posture of, of, of saying, hey, you know, I gave, what did you do with what I gave you? Like, let me hear it. Let's, let's talk about this life that you lived. Let's see what, what fruit there was. And again, it's the fruit of obedience, not of results. Let me, let, let's see, let's hear, let's talk about that. And I think he's dying to give you a reward. I don't think, he's not a stingy giver. His, I think his posture is, I got all this stuff. Now I'm longing to give. I don't even know what it is. He's longing to give it to us. He's looking for opportunities to do that. This is a tangent, uh, and we're going to close. Luke talks about Jesus talking about giving, and he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I think about that sometimes, and I think about, am I giving, like, God gives to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into our lap. That's how he gives. We cannot give him. No matter what it is, we cannot outgive him. And I wonder how many times am I giving with a teaspoon? So God still gives back, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But he's only got a teaspoon because that's what I've given to him to give back to me. I'm not talking about money. This isn't prosperity gospel. But based on what I'm doing with my life, the way I'm stewarding what he's given me, which does include my money and my time, my strengths and my talents, all of those things. Am I giving those things away? to others? Am I using those things in a, in a way that glorifies him? Is it just with a teaspoon? He's still going to give back multiplied. 
but I'm the one that determines the measure that he uses in my life. And is that what I'm handing him? What if you handed him a shovel? Or a backhoe? What if you did that? And that's coming back to you, pressed down and shaken together and running over into your lap. That to me is what this final judgment is for us as Christians. It's the opportunity for God to dump on all of us the rewards for our obedience in this life. Everybody, I think everybody's going to get something. What do you want to give him to measure back to you? Do you want to give him a teaspoon? You want to give him a shovel? You want to give him a backhoe? Let's pray. Most important thing, if you're watching this and you're in the wrong line, there's still time to switch. All it takes, simple, it's repentance. It's not easy, but it's simple. You acknowledge the places where you've been disagreeing with God and you start agreeing with Him. And the first place to start you start agreeing with what God said about Jesus. That he's the only way to enter into this relationship with the Father. He's the only way that you can enter into this country that is the kingdom of God. That's where you start. If that's where you are, I'm begging you to reach out to somebody. Let us know. If you're sensing something, sometimes when the Holy Spirit's kind of uh, working on us, there's a physical response. You may feel, it almost can kind of feel like butterflies in your stomach. I want to say, do not ignore that. So one of the things that you may think is, I can take care of that later. Now's not an appropriate time. Now's not a great time. That is a lie. Remember, that's what the devil does. He deceives us. You respond right now, simply. God, I, want to, I agree with what you said about Jesus, that he's the only way for me to enter into a relationship with you. And so I'm committing right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. And then you let somebody know. For many of you, you've already made that decision. And what I want you to hear is, your life matters. Monday matters. July matters. 2025, it all matters. Not because you're, when you hear judge, for many of us, that's such a negative word. We think about failing. Like you can't fail. It's impossible to fail. You've already been adopted into God's family. And you've been adopted based on his great love for you not based on anything that you've done. This is a, this, you cannot fail, so push that aside. All this is is opportunity for you to live a life that matters, to live a life that glorifies God and that blesses other people. And then, and then whatever it means to be rewarded by God, you're going to be rewarded by him. And, and how great, I have no idea what those are, but no, nobody gives better gifts than him. Nobody does. 
So it's not pressure to perform at all. It's opportunity both to bless others and then to be blessed by him. And with the measure that we use, it will be measured back to us. He always is going to outgive you. Don't worry about that. The thing I'm asking you to do right now is just to decide, what measure are you giving to him? Are you giving him a teaspoon? Are you giving him a cup? Are you giving him a shovel? What are you giving him? That metaphor doesn't make a ton of sense. I just think about the idea of stewardship. Are you using what he's given you in a way that honors and glorifies him? Are you using the things he's given you as Jesus would if he was living your life? Are you using the money that you have like Jesus would if he was balancing your checkbook? Are you using your time like Jesus would if he was managing your calendar? Are you using your gifts like Jesus would? if he was living your day-to-day existence. Again, don't hear any of that as pressure. It's all invitation and opportunity. Holy Spirit, I pray, one, that you would convict any who are standing in the wrong line. And I pray what they would hear more than anything else is for God so loved them that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that they could have eternal life by putting their faith and their trust in him. And God, I pray for all of us that have said yes to you, Jesus, that we would live lives that matter. That we would use all that you've given us to your glory and to the good of others. God, I pray that for every person who's listening to this, that whenever final judgment day is, God, I pray that you're backing up the truck for them, showering them with rewards. God, I pray particularly for those who would say they, they may not use this word, but they toil in secret. Nobody sees. You always do. God, I pray for those of us who are, we're we're giving what you've given to us, but we're being stingy with it. It's a teaspoon. It's a tablespoon. God, I pray that we would trade that in for a shovel and then a backhoe that we would know what it is to give everything that you've given us back to you. There's no better place for it. There's not going to be any better return on our investment than the one that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you guys. We'll see some of y'all this week. And uh, everybody else, I guess y'all will tune in next Sunday.